Welcome to Jews on Film. My name is Daniel Zana. I'm a documentary filmmaker and a video editor and a Jew. With me, as always, is my co-host, Harry Ottensasser. Hey, what's going on? As always, I'm uh, Harry Ottensasser. I'm a former film major. I'm a current Jew. And today we're joined by a wonderful guest, writer Emil Stern. Welcome to the podcast, Emil. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We're excited to have you. Today, we're going to be discussing David Mamet's Homicide. And, uh, you know, we start out our podcast with a couple of quick questions. First one being, you know, growing up uh, when you uh, grew up, you grew up in Australia. Is that correct? Correct. So I wanted to know, like, growing up, what did Jewish film mean to you? Hmm. That's very interesting. Because so I grew up in Canberra, which is like not a particularly Jewish city. Um, and I was, uh, you know, even though my family was not very observant at that point, I was very aware that I was like the one Jewish kid in my class. Um and I guess it is interesting because, uh, you know, movies are um, an important way of identifying, you know, and suddenly you're sort of like, oh, like I see Woody Allen on screen. Is that what a Jew is? You know, I see Mel Brooks, you know, like, and I was certainly raised seeing movies from a very young age. What did Jewish film mean to me? It's a really good question. I guess like today's movie, for example, is like explicitly Jewish themed. It's not one of those movies where it's like it's a Christmas movie with a bunch of Jewish names in the credits. You know, it's like, you know, so so I guess I guess it's a multidimensional answer. It's like you're you're kind of, um, you know, it's like, oh, Albert Brooks popped up. I guess it's a Jewish movie, you know, but but there's like this sort of richer idea of like, is it actually engaging? you know, like Jewish themes, ideas, what it is to be Jewish in this world, you, whatever that means in all of its like multi-dimension. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I really do like the movie we're going to talk about today because it's like, it's almost like theologically Jewish, you know, it's almost like, it's like existentially Jewish. But I guess, I guess my, my short answer is sort of like, I feel like to, to actually be a Jewish movie, it really sort of has to deal with like either the lived experience of being, you know, being Jewish, like, you know, you could say the graduates a Jewish movie, you know, or you could say, or or it has to deal with some kind of like ethical or moral conundrum that uh, that everyone faces, but like through Jewish lens. It's interesting that you said this Christmas movie that has a bunch of Jewish names in the title. This is kind of the opposite, where it's like a Jewish movie with not a single Jewish name in the. I mean, mostly <laughs> not a Jewish cast at all. But we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, were you mentioned Macy? Not a Jew. Not a Jew. Yeah, not a Jew. Don't want to. Not playing a Jew. At least we mentioned that. Right. The issue is exactly with right. Jew. It's funny. It's funny. I will contradict myself. So there's a French movie called A Christmas Tale that I love a lot that has actually a strong Jewish component, but it's more like dealing with like French anti-Semitism. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's like, oh, you know, right. Everything you're articulating is exactly what we kind of try to figure out with a lot of these movies. And I like that you mentioned sort of the Albert Brooks movie that's not really about anything Jewish because we actually did broadcast news. And I, I will admit it was a little right. bit tough to kind of read some of the Jewishness into there because it's not so explicit. Well, look, I, but I think that, but I mean, that broadcast news is like a favorite movie of mine, but I would also say like, you know, he's like the smart, anxious Jewish guy who's got a face up against William Hurt is like the wasp god who's like who's dumb like I feel like there's there's often a strain of these kinds of films where it's like I just saw in her shoes again recently and it's like you know there's like the smart savvy sister who's like you know she's a lawyer and she's great and then like there's the dumb one who can't even read she's so dumb it's like yeah <laughs> it's definitely dynamic yeah, and, and I think the coded Jewishness is absolutely there. Oh, yeah, you know, we, we spoke about it in that episode. But it also is nice when we encounter, you know, a movie like 
like homicide where it's just so explicit and so ingrained and totally. you know you mentioned thematically and existentially absolutely but even just and we'll we'll touch on this as we go through the movie but even just the content and just it's so present and uh i'll use that to transition into the second question we had for you which was why did you choose this film you know of all the sort of jewish film that you could have come to us with what is it about homicide you know you guys were like what movie would you like to discuss and i thought like i would like to do something that's like explicitly saturated in these kinds of questions right um, and I remember, look, I saw this movie at the theater, like I think I was a teenager and I saw it at the movies and I had no idea what to make of it because it's very different from, you know, and it's like. That's a young age to see this movie. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, and I was in Australia and like, you know, you could talk about varieties of being Jewish, varieties of anti-Semitism, also very different, you know, so like uh, this is kind of like set mostly in a working class kind of, you know, like, or like blue collar, I guess, like police milieu, you know, and then. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is like, on the one hand, there was a lot that was very foreign to me, but on the other hand, there was a lot that I found totally mesmerizing. One of those things is like David Mamet's dialogue, you know, and the kind of hypnotic world that you get absorbed into. But one of those things is also like, it's about Jewishness and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty dark movie. And it's like, and it's funny because like David Mamet's one of the more like publicly observant or committed kind of Jews out there. And yet you feel like a lot of his takeaways in this film are like incredibly dark and it's like, you know, to be Jewish is to sort of be in this rabbit hole of always like trying to find where you belong or like what life means. And I think that's true, you know, but I think it's it's like a very like honest movie in that in that sense, you know. So it kept coming back to me while I was just like, what's the best movie to discuss, you know? And and it's a movie a lot of people kind of like really, really love. Like it's in the Criterion Collection, but it's also a movie right. a lot of people haven't like heard of, you know, because it's it's it sort of occupies this like niche kind of popularity. So I think for all those reasons. You know, and I think I think also it has a strong element of like, well, what would I do in that situation? Right. Uh, which, which I think is pretty interesting. So even in my like teenage brain, it's a movie that I've come back to over the years. It's like it, it has that strong kind of like, what, what would you do uh, vibe, which I think is is like important for movies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he finds himself in a bit of a moral quandary a few times uh, throughout the uh, throughout the t- the course of the film. You know, I have this Age of Innocence poster behind me here, which is sure. like a favorite film. And it's about, you know, it's it's definitely a very wasp milieu, but it's about people caught in like social mores and like how do they so it's like, okay, you know, you can you can you can certainly relate to any kind of movie, explicitly Jewish or not, and say, like, oh, it's got Jewish themes or it's got like Jewish ideas, you know. Right. But, um, but yeah, but like homicide, it's it's on its sleeve, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm familiar with David Mamet because of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I think that was probably like the only Mamet film I had seen up to that point, but I, it's been years since I saw that film. Mm. And so kind of like diving back into it, it very much felt like a play in some in some regards because he's also a playwright. So the actors are great in it, you know, like Joe Montana, William H. Macy. I think, I think there's also, there's some stuff I was thinking about, which is like, you know, maybe when you think about Jewish movies, you think of comedies a lot, you know? Yes, people but, often do, yeah. I really think that the Jewish genre par excellence is more of this kind of like dark thriller where you go down a rabbit hole or, you know, like, and like the answers aren't clear and you're trying to make sense of it. And I guess I like that Homicide sort of marries together this like police kind of whodunit, you know, Mm -hmm. with with new questions. It's certainly interesting. It kind of tackles a few things, but he often just seems like totally squeezed out and doesn't fit in in any particular box comfortably. And the comedy is a way to kind of like process all this trauma that is that is lived in the Jewish experience. And so things that can kind of distract from that are a way to 
for people. Sure, and it's a, it's a survival skill and, you know, nothing, like, they're all great. I'm not against comedies, but, like, it's interesting when you do see it in this kind of noir context. Before we get too far, I wanted to ask Harry if he could read the IMDb summary for the film to get folks up to speed. I definitely can. Thanks. It's a short summary this time. It reads... A Jewish homicide detective investigates a seemingly minor murder and falls in with a Zionist group as a result. Uh-oh. Sounds like a lot of intrigue and mystery. Let's take a quick... Sounds like intrigue. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to discuss some of the plot points from Homicide. Welcome back to Jews on Film. Daniel, why don't you get us started on going through the summary of homicide sure my pleasure so the film starts out you know like as harry mentioned it's a and as emil mentioned as well you know it's it's a bit of a crime thriller so we're in we're immediately thrust into a world of like violence and raids of a apartment so we we start out with a lot of silence up top and this very carefully orchestrated raid on someone's apartment i don't think there's any dialogue for at least the first couple of minutes where you see all these Agents, you know, putting plastic uh, explosives on the door and doing all sorts of very exaggerated hand signals about getting in and that they go in and that sort of sets our plot in motion where they're raiding someone's apartment and we see a bunch of people get killed and someone makes it out, but we don't really see that person. Essentially, what happens at the beginning is the FBI are getting taking a lot of heat for for this raid and are, we are introduced to our main character, Bobby Gold, played by Joe Mantegna. And there's immediately sort of after this raid scene, we have a sort of big discussion and argument between members of the FBI and the police chief and the police. And it's a bit of a standoff, but almost, uh, you know, right afterwards, you know, Bobby is referred to because he is Jewish. He's referred to using the derogatory term for a Jew, which we're not going to use in the episode. We'll call it the K word. There are many expletives. Uh, There's the F word uh, for homosexuals and also the N word for African-Americans. Those all these words are kind of bandied about in the film because of the time and because of David Mamet's writing style. So I just wanted to put that out there as a, uh, a potential advisory for those watching the film. Any thoughts on the sort of first chunk of the uh, introduction to Bobby and all this uh, raid business up top? I would just say, like, um, so Bobby Gould is like a kind of alter ego for David Mamet, and that name recurs in a lot of his plays. Um, oh, okay. Not necessarily, not necessarily as a cop, not, but he sort of like takes on many guises, you know. So, and similarly, like, I think I think Joe Mantegna has often been like a stand-in for, for Mamet in his work, you know. So, as I think you alluded to, like, not a Jewish actor, but like, I think that they have this kind of symbiotic relationship, you know. So. Um, so it's like, like, it seems as if he's taken on a lot of like mammoths, obviously his speech patterns, but like his attitude toward the world, I guess. And there's, and there's, I, I, you know, the only thing I would add, because it is a beautifully orchestrated silent sequence at the start shot by Roger Deakins, like Bobby Gould doesn't want to really engage, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, like he gets handed this other case he doesn't want, you know, he's like, he tells a character, I was never here. Like he's just someone, which I think Jewishly is interesting, is someone who just sort of wants to go through the world. Like we're told that he's really good. He's a verbal cop. He's a hostage negotiator, right. you know, but he's trying to not not make trouble, not get in trouble. And it's really shaken when he gets called the K word because he says there's a line, something like, I'm sorry, Bobby. I got a call downtown. The Jewish guys, they got this clout. The doctor wants you. You were there. You're his people. You're on the case. I'm his people? I thought I was your people, Lou. 
I come up with the idea, trap the guy in. Lou, I come up with the brother. Hey. I'm sorry, Bobby. Lou, I'm in it from the get. I'm sorry. About the procedurals, go ahead and clear them off your desk. You're sorry? What am I, fucking jumpy bean? I'm sorry. What, I'm your backup girl? I'm trying to follow orders, Lou, and I'm getting whiplash. Why don't you just send me to the airport? What did I do to you? It's nothing personal, Bobby. What I'm saying, Lou, perhaps it shouldn't be. The kid just gave up his brother. And that's, that's the movie in a nutshell. In pursuit of this person who has escaped our raid up top, we are also, you know, William H. Macy, his partner, they too are in pursuit and, and they're pursuing a lead that will help them catch the suspect that ran away. They stumble upon a crime scene where an elderly Jewish woman was gunned down in her store. They sold knickknacks and things like that, sort of like a drugstore or something like that. And it's very clear that she's a Jewish woman because Bobby Gold picks up her necklace and sees that it's like a Star of David. You know, she has a, a gun in a cigar box that he's reaching to. Because of the fact that he's stumbled upon there and because of the fact that he's Jewish, he then gets assigned to the case because the family of the deceased pulls some strings and manages manages to get him as the lead on this case. Harry, I haven't heard from you for a while. Let me have you chime in. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll start at the top, you know, from the beginning of the movie, because one of the things that surprised me at the top was because, you know, you mentioned that very silent scene to open the film. And I'm not so familiar with David Mamet's film, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that I had read about them is that he's very good with dialogue and he's very wordy. And I think just seeing it open up so silently, and I think it comes from a place of, you know, a command over when things should be said, when things shouldn't be. And that's so clearly evident in that scene. But I did think that was a funny first impression. But you know, I, I also want to talk about because like the words his writing is very important. And you gave that warning at the top about, you know, the use of the K word and the use of some of other very harsh derogatory words. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's just sort of like incidental and just, you know, a sign of the times and how people spoke. That to me really drives a lot of the major conflict and just sort of character work in the movie, because obviously it sets up this whole investigation that I, that Bobby starts doing that, that that drives some of the sort of, you know, inward focus of Bobby throughout the rest of the film. That That's his first sort of a lot of this movie is about him reckoning with his identity as a Jew and what that means and what he re- what that represents. And part of that is, you know, facing real hatred and facing anti-Semitism the way that it sort of manifests. And that's that kind of that forced him. In, and we'll see this throughout the rest of the film to kind of engage with the hatred that's kind of spewed towards, you know, and the victimization that's sort of leveled at, um, at Jewish people. But I think that also is a it's something that's experienced by many different people and the way that the, those sort of those derogatory words are, are carried throughout the film and the way that they're lashed out at other people, because a lot of people, a lot of our cops say them, a lot of other characters in the movie kind of use them very aggressively. And, you know, a little teaser, and I'll, I'll reference this again towards the end of the film, the way that, you know, someone, one of our main characters ends up leveling that word. It just, it right. shows just it shows just like the the viciousness of these words and the hatred and the kind of the victimhood that I, I think all of these characters experience in their own way and how that kind of manifests their work as, you know, a lot of them as, you know, investigators, policemen, but also just going about their daily lives. And I don't want to step too much on what I'll cover throughout the rest of the film, but the use of language, you know, the sort of mammoth use of language immediately became clear how important it was. And I just wanted to point out that the use of derogatory terms is just, it's very explicit, very intentional and very, I think, weighty. Totally, very hurtful. And it's like for Bobby Gould, it has no question. giant sense of betrayal of like, you know, um, and in general, I think he's got this fantastic, you know, it's a great performance, but I think it's obviously supported by the writing. This is like, he's, he's perplexed a lot of the movie, you know, like like he gets lunged at by a suspect at the police station. He's like, are you okay, Bobby? No, I'm fine, Lou. Somebody get him a drink of water. I got it. The fuck is wrong with you, man? What'd I ever do to you, huh? the fuck did I ever do to you? 
You stupid son of a bitch. I'm sorry. You tore my holster and I got work to do. What the fuck did I ever do to you? Nothing. And I stood up for you, didn't I? Yes, you, you did. <sighs> Thank you for your help. Uh-huh. Perhaps someday I could help you. Now, how can you help me? Perhaps someday I could tell you the nature of evil. It's a very gentle kind of response, you know, his he not in the, right unexpected response for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the scene you're talking about, there's a there's a criminal who's brought in who's who's killed his entire family uh, with a hunting rifle, and then he lashes out at Bobby Gold, trying to grab his holster, his grab his service pistol from his holster. He ends up ripping his holster, which becomes sort of a plot device later in the film. And yeah, he keeps asking him, "Why would you do that? Why would you do that?" And you know, he also strikes him in the head, and he has this injury the rest of the film. I'm sure there's some significance to this sort of mark that he carries with him. But yeah, you know, as as Bobby sort of gets deeper and deeper into this case, he's introduced to the sort of the son of the granny that was passed away and then the daughter. So two generations of this Jewish family. He gets called in. He goes to their house and he starts investigating what's going on. Initially, he he first is introduced to them and does it a bit reluctantly. He's not quite bought in as he is later in the film. Spoiler alert. They talk about seeing a shooter on the on the roof across the across the way. On the roof. On the roof. There's a shooter on the roof. You know, after you after you hear that scene once, definitely it stays with you because the, the force of the repetition. I, I think she said something very interesting about the, you know, like the you think that Jews are being paranoid, but then when violence happens to Jews, you know, we'll say we were right, kind of thing. I thought that was like a very powerful quote. I like that the the film not only uses English and uses like cop language, but also like Yiddish and then fairly accurate Hebrew, which I appreciated. We discover that Bobby can't, well, we'll get, I'll talk about the reading later, but go ahead. Exactly. I, I do think it's worth pausing a, a little bit here just to unpack, you know, this family because, sure. you know, first of all, and, and we, we kind of glossed over the whole crime scene, you know, when he goes to that, um, when he goes to see, you know, this woman obviously was shot and killed. And, you know, there's just so much Jewishness layered into that scene. I mean, it's funny because when I saw that it was called Klein's, right? It's like this candy shop called like Klein's. And mm-hmm. I think my, you know, Jewish lens that I've taken to watching these movies for this podcast was like, could that be someone who's Jewish? But then you just see, I mean, he like the, he makes a point of like pointing out the sort of Jewish star, you know, the Magain David necklace that she was wearing. And right. that obviously comes back up later. But, mm-hmm. you know, even just the way that that crime scene is kind of dealt with, you know, you have these characters talking about like he's trying, uh, are, you know, Bobby's trying to get a sense of what's going on here because this wasn't his case. He just happened to pass it. But he was just like, you know, why, why are you know, what, what's the situation here? And you hear a lot of kids kind of surrounding them, just talking about how, you know, it was probably over monthly. You know, she had there was apparently a fortune in her basement, like right. a hidden fortune. And that's kind of why, you know, she was attacked. And by the and, way, like, and I, by the way, but I think I think what's great about those scenes is it's not probably they're all like she had a fortune in her basement. Everyone knows she had a fortune in yeah. her basement, you know, and I think. I think that's part of this. It's like, it's, you know, it's like Rebecca Pigeon's character says something like it never stops against the Jews and all yes. these, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of a um, elusive movie and you've got to figure out what it means, but on the other hand, it's very blunt. And mm-hmm. like the pervasive anti-Semitism is very like unflinchingly depicted, I think. Yeah. It comes from all sides, right? It comes from the cops. It comes from the African-American neighbors who are saying that, oh, everyone, like you said, everyone knows that she had a ton of money. 
And, you know, even the cops say something like, you know, the Jewish guys have this clout. They are your people, you know, like they, you right. know, the cops are, 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 yeah, because he gets assigned to this case and they're able to pull strings that, you know, people seem to understand what is at play here. Yeah, it's sort of baked in. And right. uh, no, and, Bo and Bobby Gould is someone who's trying to live his life right. unaware of that. Like, he just doesn't want to think about it, which like, fair enough, you know, um, he just wants to be a cop, you know, and then it's like this is thrown in his face. Uh, which I think is very like that and the head wound are both pretty disorienting for him, you know. I guess collectively that it, that would uh, mess you up a little bit, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think he's at a place where he's kind of he's taken on this role as like a police officer. He's he's almost like passing, so to speak, right? As this like not really wearing his Judaism on his sleeve, and yeah. all of a sudden he's confronted with it when you know he's like we said he's kind of like especially spe selected for this case because you know this you know wealthy Jewish man is like I, I want him specifically on the case, and he's kind of forced to interrogate with his Jewish. And, you know, Daniel, you were talking about that scene, you know, when he gets to their apartment and you can yes. tell he's disinterested. It's it's not just his subtle reactions and his kind of like, you know, lackadaisical approach to the case. I mean, there's this incredible scene where he's literally on, on the phone with someone and right. he's just kind of going about and he's being, you know, you'd call it self-hating Jew, you'd call it, you know, anti-Semitic kind of thing and just talking about very dismissively. I would have been there. I'm stuck here with my, my Jews. You should see this fucking room. No, fucking bullshit, bunch of high-strung fucking bullshit. They pay so much taxes, fuck them. Yo, she did? Fan-fucking-tastic. What? Oh, some bullshit, somebody's taking shots at them. Hey, fuck them. Don't tell me. Don't send the old lady work down there and tell me how you're so surprised. Fuck them and the taxes they pay. You tell me, 10 more bucks a week they're making letting her work down there? Hey, not my people, baby. Fuck them. There's so much anti-Semitism last 4,000 years, we must be doing something to bring it about. I'll see you at the house half an hour. You, you hear that he's speaking the language of kind of the other cops who were similar, saying like, we have this huge drug bust case going on, you know, the initial case that the film introduced us to. Why are you wasting your time on this just sort of Jewish thing over here? Mm -hmm. And he feels, you know, similarly that he doesn't really care about it. But his first kind of real confrontation from other Jews comes from, I think it's one of the granddaughters is sitting in the room with him as he is, he's yeah. on the phone. I'm yeah, and as he's him. on the phone. And it's this great filmmaking where we don't see her until the camera kind of just pans around. And it's like she's been sitting there the whole time. And she's the first one to really confront him and say, Do you hate yourself that much? belong nowhere she realizes and recognizes that like he's he's kind of trying to play both sides and i think one thing that's kind of set up in the film at this point is that there's two parallel cases going on we have the pursuit of this suspect who has fled at the beginning which bobby gold is very much interested in resolving and that's his partner william h macy's case as well and so he kind of wants to pursue that as they used to do in the good old days where they would capture the suspect, drink their bottle of wine and be celebrated by the entire police department. But then there's also this Jewish person case that he is forced to work on to the exclusion of the other. And so that sort of sets up this tension for him where it's like, do I fit in with this case or that case? And as the film progresses, the stakes increasingly get higher where he's required to be at this place at this time. And he needs to help this family figure out if there's a shooter. So there's a lot of tension going on here. And, and you know, the, the heat kind of gets turned up as we progress into the film. I, there's so much to talk about in this movie, but it's like yes. the dialogue, dialogue is, is very important. But like, you know, when we're talking about the opening, the I think, you know, Mamet really is interested in people at work, men at, men at work mostly, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like you're saying, 
Daniel, and it's like, you know, like like nothing is more important than being like a professional. You know, th- at least that's what Bobby Gould thinks at the start. You know, like you do your work, like police work. That's what this calls for. You know, there's that dialogue in the car with William H. Macy. And then I guess it's like the whole movie is like actually being good at your job, just like keeping your head down. It's not enough. You know, there are these mysterious forces whether they're real or not, and that's what the movie is also about, is like how far down this rabbit hole do you go? Right. Like, what do you what do you do with this knowledge now that you're like, oh, I don't belong anywhere? Do you start seeing clues everywhere, or do you just mm-hmm. sort of ignore it? What do you do? He goes up to the to the roof, and across the way, he sees someone flee, but he only finds like a batch of uh, just a a bunch of pigeons. I don't know what the expression is for a bunch of pigeons, but he finds a bunch of pigeons, and he looks on the floor and he sees like a piece of butcher paper folded up with a paper clip and he opens it up and he discovers the word G-R-O-F-A-Z. He doesn't quite know what it is, but he makes the connection, as you said, Emil, sort of how far down the rabbit hole is he going? He obviously, he's like, oh, this is obviously a clue. You know, there's an anti-Semite shooter across the way. So I'm going to go investigate. So then he goes to the library and then he starts to search for clues. I'll interrupt just to say that we have to call out that the librarian is Mm. actually someone that he's played by a man named Stephen Goldstein, who Daniel and I actually are met because we we were on the uh, Seattle Merkaz Shavuot tone, which I think we've referenced other times on this podcast. But he was on it with us and actually, you know, told us that he was the he played the librarian in Homicide. And it was just it was a joy to see a sort of familiar face in this movie that I thought would just be a small bit part. But he really does drive, you know, a a pretty substantial scene that is important. Yeah. And Stephen's. I've, I, he probably would remember me. I met him a long time ago in New York because I have friends at the Atlantic Theatre Company uh, who are also in, in this movie in small roles, um, vivid roles, I should say. Uh, but Stephen's a great guy and he's fairly, I, not fairly, he's orthodox, he's observant, right. I believe. So it's also an interesting yep. layer of having him play the librarian uh, in that scene. And even though it's funny because that, that char- of, of all the characters in the movie, I think that character was the, you know, I remember watching this movie with my parents and they were just like, you know, like an Orthodox Jew would never talk that way to someone else and be like, what kind of a Jew are you? And sort of Mm. do this whole existential. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, I think that their feeling was that he would be more likely to be like, oh, we have Hebrew classes. You should come and learn, you know, like be a bit more welcoming. Yeah. more welcoming like even if it's like ultimately a giant burden and like you know we have like you know it only takes like 60 hours a week you know but you know you two can master you know but um but that's an interesting character and it's like the fact that it's actually played by an orthodox jew is kind of interesting nice. you know where he he sort of confronts bobby gold with his uh ignorance or with his apathy this library scene is another confrontation of sort of Jewishness because throughout he basically, you know, Bobby is kind of going through the library and first he's being talked to the librarian and Bobby's specifically asking about this Grofas, what that means. And I think someone else had told him earlier, but the librarian kind of confirms that it's, you know, it's an alternate name for Hitler. It actually comes from this sort of, you know, anagram of a, a bunch of different, you know, names of people. And it was just this, you know, very sort of deep cut third right propaganda kind of tool for referring to uh, Hitler. And he basically said, the librarian basically tells him like, this is definitely anti-Semitic. It comes from, you know, this very specific and archaic. I'm not sure how often it's used, but, you know, Bobby kind of sends him on this rabbit hole of just, can you like do a little bit of a search for me to figure out anti-Semitic actions in this community where this might've come from. But, you know, sort of what happens in that scene is that not only once he kind of sends the librarian his way, Bobby keeps kind of walking around the library and eventually comes face to face with, do this just, you know, this Jewish looking character who's in the library. I don't know what, what more there is to him. He just seems like almost, I mean, almost like an angel, right? Because I, I kind of had this read of like, yeah. who is this person that 
almost immediately without context just starts confronting him and says, The gun disturbs you. I'm a police officer. The gun doesn't disturb me. You were looking at me. The gun is nothing. The gun is a tool. We have nothing to fear from a tool. The badge concerns me. The badge, you see. The badge is a symbol. The badge is the symbol of that which constrains us. The star, you see. The star. The five-pointed star. The pentagram. It is identified as a star, but it is not the symbol of heaven. It is the symbol of earth. The Mogan David is the intersection of the opposites and can be deconstructed into heaven and earth. But the pentagram cannot be deconstructed. You see, the five points are the five senses, the Chinese five elements, the five fingers of the hand. There's clearly a lot going on here, but it was a, a strange departure from the sort of standard plot that we had been going through, you know, in this big scene in the library. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because to this person, like you said, Harry, who kind of comes, it, it just, for me, it seemed a little like heavy handed, this person where it was like, here, I'm going to like lay out the stakes for you. Because in the previous scene, you know, as we talked about, there's these two parallel cases. He has like a really interesting discussion with his partner, William H. Macy's character. And they keep on talking about, okay, tomorrow you're going to be at, uh, you're going to be at this address at 5 a.m. We're going to do this thing and we're going to bust the guy finally. And so th this is sort of the penultimate scene to that last raid. And really, you know, I think he's talking about the Jewish case and he's really talking about the, the pigeon feed and the, this and the, that, and, and the other William H. Macy's character is like, get your head out of it. And they, you know, you're like my family. I am your family. They, they, they go back and forth and it's really, you know, it's at this point where he's kind of unsure of where he's at. And so this library scene that follows and sort of having this person talk about the Magain David, the Star of David, the six pointed one versus the five pointed one is sort of really talking about this duality between being a cop and being a uh, a Jew. And so no, I really like that scene because yeah. like I do think. Look, every mystery thriller has the scene where you go to an expert, you know, right. like Vertigo, they go to the old bookstore, you know. And like what I think is very authentically Jewish about this scene is that the explanation uh, confuses him more. You yeah. know, so it's like you're way, you know, so this is like a this is like a character. And and instead of like making his life better, he like he's like challenges him. It's like you don't read Hebrew, what kind of a Jew right. are you? And he like he shows him the code. It's like you don't see it. And, um, you know, I, mean, and I didn't even see it to be fair. I was like, what is, what do you talk? It was like this Aramaic from like Talmud. And I'm just like, I'm not going to read it, be able to read like a photocopied Gomorrah, whatever, like off his enthusiasm that. feels authentic, you know, where right. he's like, here is the answer. Do you see? I can't read it. You say you're a Jew. I can't read it. You say you're a Jew, and you can't read Hebrew. What are you then? And I just, I think that like, it's a really complicated, ironic sort of film because it's like, you know, it's it's like, he, he, that this scene could be a comforting scene where he like finds his people, but he doesn't really. The guy's kind of like in his own head and like absorbed in Kabbalah codes or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and like for a movie about belonging, it's sort of like, to me, like, which is weird coming from, this is different from David Mamet's essay writing, but it's like, if a Jew, if, you, if you're a Jew looking to belong, you're kind of like screwed. Like there's like, don't, that's like, just it's a fool's errand, you know, like, right. like I'm fairly sure that like, um, you know, the family, the wealthy family, maybe they feel, uh, 
material at ease, but obviously they, they're paranoid and with good reason their grandmother gets shot, you know? So it's like, um, no one really feels comfortable in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think what's so interesting is, first of all, that scene, like you said, he goes and he leaves more confused than he came. And that that right. reminded me of our discussion on A Serious Man, right? Where it's the progressive meeting with the different rabbis that right, it's right. just in, intentionally cryptic and just leaves you with more questions. But what's really interesting about this scene is that, you know, the, what he when he actually shows him the text that's from, it's from the story of Esther, right? The book of Esther. All and right. he says, and he even like, and he tries to explain it, this guy, he, he says like, you know, Hester Punim, which is, you know, where the name is derived from. And it's this concept of the sort of hidden face of God and like, like not having clarity in terms of God's presence. And, you know, just for those listening in, like, you know, that one of the big themes of the Esther, the Megillah of Esther is that unlike, you know, other Jewish texts, God is really not explicitly present there. He's kind of below the surfaces, but you kind of have to search for it. And it's just, it's ironic because it's like, don't you see it? It's so clearly it's right here when it's like, he's pointing to the text where it's the least clear, you know, God's involvement, <laughs> right, but it's right. also just in his search. I think it's intentionally a very cryptic, like, you know, God is like right here. If you know how to look and if you're actually like opening your eyes to it, but it, it's not quite the proof that I think this guy is uh, intending it to be. And that just, like we're saying, it just adds to all the confusion walking out of that scene. You can't tell if he feels more in touch with his Jewishness or, or not. But it's also interesting, like, like I think the character's smoking in that scene, right? He's this very, like, nervy kind of library, you know, like, he's very, like, intense. But, you know, sometimes as an exercise, I think about, like, what characters are like when they go home after the scene, right? Mm -hmm. And you picture that librarian being very content, you know, he's going to go home, open another book, drink black coffee, smoke a cigarette, you know, and like, yeah. and, and, and in a sense, he has a measure of contentment of all the characters in this film, but he's completely in his head in this weird mystical other place. You know, he's not living in Baltimore like the other characters are. I thought he was going to go to his like shed in the backyard with the strings and like connect more things and draw more circles, but probably, but be very happy. And like, yeah, you know, and, and, and like, so I think it's like, man, it's showing us all these different ways of living as like Jewishly in the world. And one of them is like to feel like you've got all the answers, but totally incomprehensible to anyone else on the planet. You know, that's, that's, that's like one possibility, you know, and right. then, and then there's like, you can be the conflicted cop, but then one is like, you can be the sort of like admittedly wealthy family who nonetheless have become a target for anti-Semites. So, right. um, you know, I think, so after, uh, after Bobby sort of chats with these librarians at the library, he is directed to a specific aisle in the stacks and is putting a book back. And then he overhears a conversation where they talk about certain evidence about Grofas, which he was requesting was being sent to 212. And so he's uh, this is this is going to take Bobby on another sort of different rabbit hole. But now he's kind of like firmly in the Jewish case more so than the other one. That one sort of becomes background for now. And he looks at some paperwork and he discovers that 212 is the name of a, it's an address he finds on a piece of paper. He gets an address. He goes to this place late at night. It's a locked up, abandoned building. <clears throat> he asks around for the folks who are, uh, you know, walking their dog, you know, what's 212? What, what is this place? What's going on here? And he discovers that there's a bunch of old Jews in there who are helping run guns and helping to, uh, assist in in the state of Israel, and he meets a or he sees a face from the Jewish family at this new location, and he gets a, a nice sort of conversation with someone who really sort of puts on the Jewish guilt. <clears throat> they want him to. He discovers we forgot to mention. I forgot. Let's pause for a second in terms of this uh, stop story that during visiting this family at their house while looking for this mysterious shooter, he does see a picture of the suspect 
the, the old grandma who was killed in the house, he does see a picture that falls out behind. We also forgot to say, talk about the list as well. There's two things. There's two pieces of evidence. There, there was a picture of, of the granny with some Tommy guns and they're accompanying this picture was a list that gold found in the basement of uh, in the Tommy gun crate of, of people who, to whom these guns were smuggled. So Let's flash flash forward now to where these bunch of old Jews are talking to Bobby Gold and laying on that heavy Jewish guilt. Essentially, they want him to steal back the that list because that incriminates the people on the list uh, for doing these crimes. And so he wants uh, they want him to steal the the list back. And he feels torn as a Jew and a cop. And he's not quite sure where to go from here. And I'll just. Connected. There's another mammoth movie that's great called House of Games, mm-hmm. also with Jim Mantegna and Stephen Goldstein, and but it's it's about like a, a con artist and a, and a and a psychiatrist basically, and it's like another movie where just nothing is as it seems and just keep going down this rabbit hole. Like this movie, you know, you could argue feels more consequential because it's also about Zionist politics and Jew, right. you know, like it's got maybe bigger themes on its mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What? How did you guys feel about? Like it's such, an interesting like i assume david mamet is a zionist so it's a very interesting depiction of this like shadowy cabal you know yeah it felt sort of yeah. elders of zion a little bit you know yeah it definitely felt like a sort of jewish mafia like this like real intense like packing heat you know like with these zionist goals but like running through the shadows and it it plays really well i think after you know and just there's like a little bit of a later scene when he like you know he kind of leaves this meeting and he goes to like a diner with, with this woman and that's when he's kind of like he doesn't want to give up the names because he still feels his allegiance to the police and he says this is in evidence i can't i represent this badge right he's clearly still of this sort of dual uh like this you know, belong, dual belonging basically. And he, uh, so he, then he talks to this woman and he says like, what else can I do? And one of the things he talks about is just feeling like, you know, people used to call him the the P word, right. They said, they said that he was like, they should have sent like a, you know, a woman basically derogatorily to do these, you know, to do these like police work because, you know, he's just this sort of meek, very quiet Jew. And that, that's why they kind of, because he talks, he's a talker. Right. right. And and that's why they put him on exactly sort of like deescalating, you know, situations, hostage talks. That's kind of what he's been assigned because they view him as this very meek Jew. And I, think you know that kind of depiction and that sort of self act the way that he saw himself and the way that i guess he saw his jewishness right when you put it in contrast with this you know this organization with this very tough running guns this cabal this like right before he even gets there they threaten to shoot him like it's a very clearly strong organization it's just it's for him i think it's a reframing of what he thinks of his jewishness you know to Mm -hmm. him his jewishness was something to be suppressed in favor of you know a more tougher lifestyle as a police officer and all of a sudden he's seeing this you know alternate sort of governing body so to speak this policing system that's just very that's made up of jews that are proud of their jewishness and that are very tough in their Uh, jewishness you know that's what's kind of pulling it so it to me they just they came in such stark stark contrast to that to what his expected jewish idea was and there's a glamour to it as well, right? Like, I feel like the casting, the way it's shot, like, it feel there is an allure to, like, you know, join this group, do something meaningful. Um, and, like, you know, like, obviously, there's a very strong idea of, like, the brotherhood of cops in this movie. Sure. And, like, he's, he's right. someone who wants, he wants to be affiliated. You know, he wants to be part of an organization that does good work, you know, and right. sort of shifts his allegiance. It is funny, though, talking about masculinity. It's like, is William H. Macy really more, you know, manly than Joe Mantegna? It's uh, I mean, questionable. You know? Yeah. Like, but he's, physically- he's a good guy. He's, like, he's, a good char- he's a great character and he's like a solid right. guy in this movie, you know, and, and they have a real partnership. Um, it's it's funny because like my association with William H. Macy is sort of the Paul Thomas Anderson version of him where he's sort of this meek guy. And here right. in this in this film, he's like, constantly swearing, constantly packing a shotgun, um, 
you know, just totally taking charge of the situation. And whenever they discuss the two respective cases, the Jewish case and the sort of drug case, he just is like, forget it. Don't worry about it. Like, focus on this case. So the scene in the diner, right? What happens is he's feeling a lot of Jewish guilt. And I like that you mentioned that earlier, Daniel, because I think that's a real proponent of kind of him reclaim you know recapturing his identity is, is motivated by guilt and because he won't give up the numbers he says what can i do and they end up sending you know this organization ends up sending him into this building which we find out he investigates it and it's full of this sort of nazi paraphernalia and this clearly very anti-semitic hub and he delivers and trains and trains and trains too that's true yeah and he uh, delivers a bomb there, right, on behalf of this group. And you see him sort of flick the switches, leave, and he blows up the building, which, you know, to him, I think there, there's this moment of pride that he really contributed to the Jewish cause, you know, so to speak. But what we later discover is when he gets back to the diner, you know, one of the other members of the group shows up and demands that he hands over the name, list of names. And he says, I, I told you I can't handle over the list of names, but look, I, I want to give back. I just blew up this place for you. Like, he broke his police code, right? He, he feels like he did so much. And it turns out they had actually set him up because they had the this building under surveillance and have pictures of him now committing this crime of blowing up this building and they're trying to use it to extort him basically to hand over these names and you see it on his face he feels so sort of like dejected by this like he felt like he found this he earned his way into this sort of belonging with his community and all of a sudden he was just kind of a pawn for them and he was played and it's just that, that kind of sets him down a little bit of this sort of miserable path which he, which he kind of carries into you know the sort of finale shootout. I'm going to make a dad joke here. You know, there's like the wandering Jew. This could be like the wandering Joe Montaigne because like he doesn't seem to catch a break here. He tries to fit in with the cops. He doesn't belong there. He tries to fit in with the Jews and they sort of use him and they don't want him unless he plays by their rules. I wanted to call out quickly. Ricky Jay is a great actor who who's our own, I think. And he plays he's a magician, Ricky Jay, but he's also in Magnolia, one of my favorite movies. But that was a great performance there. So, yeah, I think he's sort of contemplating whether or not he's going to steal this this book of uh, names as soon as he leaves this bombing he does realize it's five it's close to 5 a.m where he was supposed to meet his partner sullivan uh for this final raid where they were going to catch the suspect who fled at the beginning played by the bing rames he realizes he's kind of a little bit too late by the way like just to give him credit because he's a good cop like bobby gould it was partly his detective work that allowed them to like track this guy in the first place. Right. Like he found his associate right. or cousin or something in a jail. Yeah. So yeah, they did, they did all sorts of things. They got a fake passport. They got the suspect's mom to set him up and meet him at a certain place where she was going to give him money and a fake passport and he was going to flee the country, but that didn't end up working out. Bobby runs to the, uh, to the scene of the crime and he does see that there's an intense shootout going on. Uh, the cops are pinned down outside he tries to return some fire. There's a lot of explosions and guns going off. He realizes that Sullivan's inside on the floor bleeding out. He then sort of realizes that he's made the, the wrong choice in this situation by sort of bombing this place. Or is it the wrong choice? We don't know. But his partner is now dead. He goes to pursue the suspect on his own, which is something that's a bit of a recurring theme that he's always the first one to kind of go in. But now his partner goes in first and he ends up paying the price. So he goes downstairs to the basement. He sees Bing Rames' character. They have a large discussion, so, semi-large discussion about their motives, sort of this last scene. And, you know, I thought this was the end of Gold because he was shot a few times by Bing Rames. Miraculously, he survives. He ends up talking to him long enough that the other backup can come and kill Bing Rames' character. And then we see Gold uh, in the following scene kind of march back into the police station, hobbling in. We have two teenage boys in handcuffs and they discover that 
the Jewish woman was in fact killed by these two kids because they wanted to get the fortune in her basement as well. It seems like by the end of the film, Sullivan has died and both cases have been wrapped up. And one of the sort of things that we discover is that Grofaz was actually the name of the pigeon feed that was uh, up on the up on the roof and that has no connection to Hitler. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So that was our plot summary of the film Homicide. Any last words before we go to break, folks? I think I, just a couple. I will say, like, it's it's just super interesting that, like, you know, Mamet is someone who in his essays talks about being part of this Jewish community and everything. The movie seems like a strongly cautionary tale against that. You know, right. and it's almost like, is that his subconscious, what he really thinks? You know, <laughs> but it's like, every time he tries to do the right thing, it's like it totally backfires. And and it turns out this less than meets the eye and it wasn't worth going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, no, there, there's a real like, you know, after all of that sort of build, the way that everything kind of breaks down, like in terms of the intricacies of the case, you know, it turns out it was like the kids who were at the crime scene. And it's funny because Bob at the beginning of the movie had made a point to say, look around, you know, talk to everyone Interview here. He, says everyone. This the other cop. Yeah. he goes, one of the people who did it is probably here or could be here. So it's just, sure. it's all much smaller than you think. But I, the only thing I want to call out, and I can reference exactly why I want to call this out, you know, when we go through the ratings, but, sure. you know, when Bobby kind of approaches the crime scene at the end, he's obviously filled with so much hatred, A, because of, you know, what just happened to him with the, you know, with this Jewish group. And then also after seeing his partner die and he becomes very sort of vitriolic. And like I said, you know, the use of, you know, in a, the, the use of sort of vulgar terms is a big part of the movie. And he uses, you know, a very aggressive N-word when talking to Ving Rhames' character and kind of like puts him down like that. And I think thematically it sort of it chronicles a lot of their journeys. And I'll touch on this in the ratings because it'll come up there. But I just wanted to call that out before we move to the rank, the rankings. Fantastic. Thanks for calling that out, Harry. I'm looking forward to hearing what this is all about. Let's take a quick break, though, and we'll be right back with our ratings and final scores for Homicide. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with writer Emil Stern. Emil, how's it going? Uh, good, thanks. It's always fun talking about, uh, you know, mysteries of, of David Namitz on the side. Totally. So now we're going to discuss the film and kind of give it a rating from one to five Jewish stars based on things like cast and crew, content, like story, plot, things like that. And then also Jewish themes. Amelia, our guest, would you like to go first? Uh, yes, I'd love to. So cast and crew obviously gets double points because David Mamet wrote and directed it. Cast, however, I mean, Joe Mantegna, not a Jew, but I'm very agnostic on whether like, you know, this whole debate about like can only Jews play Jews. Um, base, so yeah. I think there can be an element of authenticity, like Stephen Goldstein, obviously, the fact that he knows his stuff sure. uh, probably came through in that scene. Having said that, I don't know, it's probably not what he, it's not the way he feels personally. You know, there's always going to be a gap between like, um, you know, character and, so like I'm I'm all for like the quality of performance allowing for that to happen. So I'm I you know I'm going to be lenient on like the cast and crew question. Uh, content I mean I don't think there's I don't think there are that many more Jewishly explicit movies out there other than maybe like you know Serious Man. You know you'd probably have to go back to the 40s to like Body and Soul or something like that. I think you know as we said before like Homicide is like an existentially Jewish movie. It's about like where do you belong? Should you try and belong? Is it an impossible task? The, ultimately, it sort of implies that, like, you know, Jewish belonging is like a mystery and you should just uh, forget about it. <laughs> Go about your daily life. Ignore it. Yeah, thematically, I think it's really, it's an extremely Jewish movie. So I would, I, I'm going to give this, like, five out of five Jewish stars. You know, like, you could subtract one for William H. Macy, who automatically brings the Jewishness of anything down, you know. But, uh, oh, Rebecca but he's also Pigeon. not playing a Jew in this he's film. He's not playing a Jew. 
Rebecca Pigeon is Jewish, you know, who oh, nice. plays the granddaughter. So it's like it's not it's not all Italians, you know. It's a it's a there's <laughs> a mostly. It often it's is, but there's a mix. And it's I will also say it's kind of interesting because I think it's an index of when the movie was made that that kind of language is considered like um, authentic and real and harsh. And it's not just for shock value; it plays a real role in this film. But it's like obviously Spike Lee, you know, people people who are interested in race and language and identity, I think tend to amp the language up in their films. Sure. Um, sure. But yeah, I would, I would give it four and a half to five stars for all of those Jewish shows. We'll call it, we'll call it 4.75. I like that. Uh, Daniel, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on the Jewishness of the film? Yeah, I'm not as lenient as our friend Emil over here with the mm-hmm. cast and crew thing. I, I think maybe, you know, Mamet for sure getting points for that. And Stephen Goldstein, you know, playing the librarian definitely points there. And then our friend, uh, the star Jew, I don't know what we'll call him, our angel in disguise points there as well. I think, could this film be made now if it was a remake? Would Joe Montana still play Bobby Gold or would they find someone who was Jewish like Michael Stuhlbarg to play Bobby Gold instead? I don't know. I would, I guess it would be, would it be Jesse Eisenberg or? Um... Ooh, I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. Ouch. I didn't, that, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I like him. I like him too. I like I, him I'm too. Just, I'm just I trying to like... think of like, who's a, who's a movie star who could, who could authentically be a cop. Although he's not even he's not he's a Jew also. Yeah. He yeah. could do it. He could do it. Because he just played a Jew. Yeah. Right, that's I, yeah. true. I he did play Jew. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal could do it. Sure. I mean, there's plenty of, of I don't know, as far as like tough guy Jews, we'll think about it and we'll get back to you. But I don't, I mean, I'm not going to give points for Joe Montana's performance as a Jew being a non-Jew. Like he's not a Jewish cast member, you know, he is playing a Jew and that's great, but like, he's not a Jew. So I'm not going to award points there. I'm just, you know, I'm being a bit of a stickler at meal, you know, that's just how I roll. Uh, as far as I know, nobody on the crew that was Jewish besides, you know, David Mamet, um, content and themes, I think is where this film like kind of sings, you know, half of the film is sort of in Copland, so we're kind of talking about the non-Jewish world, but I think that sort of helps the delineation between cop world and Jew world kind of helps the Jew world kind of stick out a bit more and kind of draws that differentiation between the two, sort of the roughness, the words that they use in the precinct and to sort of toughness and sort of 100% certainty about, you know, this is our case, this is not you know, even though you're Jewish, you should still focus on this case. Like you're a cop, you're, you're also a Jew, but you got to be a cop first. Like that sort of certainty is something we don't see on the Jewish side. We do see a little bit of it with our older tough Jews. And so I, I really thought the content in there was really cool. You had both the Yiddish and the Hebrew. There's a lot in there. And then thematically, just this sense of like not belonging, I feel like is really like such a huge part of being a Jew. You know, whether you're old or young, and wherever you are, I think there's always a sense of like, <laughs> even within the Jewish world, man, right? Woman, none of us belong anywhere. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I feel like as a Jew, sometimes people, you know, they grow up in a certain area, but it's not until maybe later in life for some people that you find your Jews and find your people. So for that reason, I'll probably say, yeah, somewhere in like the four and a half stars. Harry, what about yourself? All pretty high rankings. I'll see if I can add on to that. But I wasn't going to cover cast and crew. I figured two people before me, you guys would cover it. But you did raise that interesting question about how important is it for the cast and crew to be Jewish. And I think unlike you, Daniel, I, I usually use that as to say, you know, if a film isn't explicitly Jewish, but maybe it's played by an actor who's Jewish or directed by a director who's Jewish, it, it gives us maybe more license to read that into the performance and into right. the direction. But in a case like this, where the film is so explicitly Jewish, I mean, the issue of Jew face is important to me and just who's, you know, 
representing. And hopefully if the movie sure. was made today, I would like, you know, a more Jewish sort of, I guess, at least cast to play it. But in this film, I don't think that detracts from how Jewish the story was because it oh, was no. so there and they were playing Jewish. And, you know, just to cover sort of, sort of the content, I mean, we, we barely got into it, just how specific it is, how much Hebrew there is, even though I will say not all of it really is, is so intelligible and a lot of, and the accents are weird, you know, very American. It's like no one even kind of tried to bury that in there, but just like the use of uh, the Magin David and just like the way they talk about different books of the Torah and the way that they just, I mean, there's just so much explicit Jewishness, you know, in the client, in the names in the characters, you know, in the, all the accents. So undeniable there, but thematically, I think this is the most interesting because, you know, you spoke about that sort of sense of belonging and Jewishness mm -hmm. and what that means to be affiliated and, and culturally associated. But I, I think that one of the biggest themes that I kind of found in the movie was just was sort of like the cycle of hatred and the way that yeah. I think the experience of being, you know, victimized so often being, I guess, a minority, right. To, to a certain extent, like the way that that kind of becomes cyclical and informs the way you're thinking, because I thought it was such an interesting exploration of these Jews, because it was so showing them simultaneously being very sort of tough, these strong, you know, Zionistic group of this, you know, underground, you know, society kind of thing. But at the same time, it was investigating those themes that they would confront it. They're like, people just dismiss all the anti-Semitism that's levied at us. And the movie doesn't really pick a side in the sense that it shows both that there's a lot of truth to the anti-Semitism that they experience, but it also undercuts it a little bit at the end where it says, right. well, we thought that they were referring to Hitler, but actually it was just this sort of pigeon pen. And like, right. it shows how that mentality and is very much justified. It's, it's born out of the experience of being victimized for so long and of being this sort of Jews that have been oppressed for so long and so recently experienced the Holocaust, you know, especially when this movie was coming out. But at the same time, it shows how that kind of manifests in terms of this victimized mentality and the way that that shapes your perception of what you experience. And I mentioned this at the end of the summary, you know, when he ultimately regurgitates some of that kind of victimhood into hatred of his own, right? He, he sees, mm -hmm. Bobby sees his partner get killed and he ends up using, you know, language. He was so insulted at the beginning of the film to be referred to by the K word. And then all of a sudden you hear that the N word, you know, the hard R right, N word kind right. of like slips off his tongue. I think it's born from this sort of cycle of hatred that he's experiencing and that by being bullied down so low kind of throughout the film and then experiencing that, you know, by the hands of this other Jewish group, that kind of informs this, this cycle of just hatred. And, and I think right. it's so interesting that when we see at the end, you know, the, the child, you know, there's that little, that there's that little kid, right. The small black kid that like, he's the one who ended up perpetuating the murder. And I, I couldn't tell how old he was, but he was, you know, 10 years oh, old. Like yeah. he, so. he was jarringly young. And I think that was just showing this sort of, you know, that sort of victimhood that it perpetuates this violence and how hard it is to escape that kind of, you know, as, as minorities, as these smaller groups, you know, how hard it is to escape that when, you know, the big cops, you know, these big sort of you know, non-Jewish white cops in power are, you know, just, just sort of perpetuating that kind of, that kind of hatred. So all that is to say that thematically, I thought that was like very, very Jewish because I thought it was really, and not in the way that we've traditionally looked at, you know, Jewish themes of maybe like tshuva and repentance and Jewish growth. Like it was Jewish in the sense of what's that experience like being victims for song and facing anti-Semitism and how does that manifest in your cultural idea and, and like the, you know, the societies that you, you create and how the movie comes down on that. I, I definitely, I finished the movie today. I need a lot more time to unpack and think about, sure. you know, where David Mamet is kind of weighing in on, you know, where that comes from, how to break that cycle. And, you know, whether these Jews that were forming this, you know, group were these very strong, you know, noble Jews or whether he was being more critical, I'm not sure, but 
regardless, it felt so Jewish thematically. So I'm also going to give this, you know, the 4.75, you know, I'm, I'm subtracting right. the top, the last quarter because, you know, Bobby isn't played by a Jew. This isn't right. a quote, okay. unquote, perfect Jewish film. Right. Right. And there are some things, you know, other themes, but I think thematically content wise, and for the most part, casting crew, like this is a really Jewish movie. Yeah. Agreed. Jim Mantegna will come to your house, you know, and then you guys can talk that through, you know, yeah. I, uh, talk about yeah. like conversion or something. <laughs> I think everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. But also, um, I think one thing this movie does really well is like, it's like the headache of being Jewish in the contemporary world. And I think, you know, that's one of the significant uh, aspects of the head wound earlier on. It's like being Jewish is like a headache. It's like he tries to fit in here, doesn't work, tries to fit in there, doesn't work, you know, and like he's trying to like synthesize all these things that maybe shouldn't be synthesized. So I think it's a very interesting kind of, um, I don't want to say bleak, you know, but it's like it's like a reflection on some real hard uh, truths, you know, that like maybe not everything can be brought together. So it's like, it's, it's like an ambiguous movie, but it's kind of a, like it's a sad movie as well, I think. Emil Stern, thank you so much for being here to discuss Homicide with us on Jews on Film. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Is there anything you'd like to plug at this time? Uh, no, I think everyone should just watch this movie and uh, argue about it. Can people connect with you on online, social media and that kind of thing? You can follow. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm barely on Twitter, but I, I do exist on Twitter. And that's probably the best way to uh, to connect. All right, Emil great. underscore Stern. Thanks so much for being here. Pleasure. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Harry Ottensasser and Daniel Zana. Daniel and Harry edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening. 